in an industry that loves to say the rising tide lifts all boats, too often we see people only building boats, not looking at where the water's going to come from. Welcome to episode 394 of Bruise News Week, recorded on Thursday, 10th of November 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Bruise News, and I'm joined by General Manager Sabrina Kunz and by Steve Jeffers, director and co-founder of Stomping Ground Brewing Company. Welcome back, Steve, and uh, welcome back, Sabrina. Hey, Steve. Hey, Matt. Hey, both of you. It's lovely to see you again. It's nice to be invited back. It was never never any doubt. We'd uh, have, well, we wouldn't have you every week because we've got a lineup of people, but we certainly have you back as a regular guest. Well, Steve Brockman has been doing a great job recently, and I thought maybe you just got the wrong Steve when you text me and said, <laughs> would you do it? I thought, that's, I'd love to do it. But then I thought, maybe, maybe you actually meant to send it to Steve Brockman again. <laughs> Big week of news. We had to cut things off uh, early last week. So how about we dive straight into the news? And uh, one of the nationally relevant stories this week uh, is Cooper's positive despite a tough year. Um, the lingering impacts of the COVID pandemic continue to impact Cooper's, but the company says it's cautiously optimistic for the year ahead, as it reported both sales and profit declines for the year. Australia's third largest brewery recorded total beer sales, excluding non-alcoholic beers of 79.4 million litres for the 12 months to June 30, uh, 3.5% fall uh, on the 2021 financial year volume of 82.3 million litres. Tim Cooper said that while volumes were down, profit was down further due to increased price pressures on inputs, including higher costs for freight and logistics. Uh, The demand for beer is elastic, he said, and as the price goes up, people aren't buying as much beer. And he also said that it's uh, beer is not recession proof. Um, a lot of people say that it is, but from his experience, it isn't. And he was referring back to the early 1990s when Cooper's had a very, very tough time in uh, Paul Keating's recession that we had to have. I guess the only thing I thought of in really seeing this, aside from the results themselves, was you know we often hear smaller brewers lamenting how they can't absorb the costs of all of these uh, increases in the supply chain. Um, And I certainly know from my time dealing with the big brewers and as these Cooper's numbers show you, that even the big brewers (laughs) can't absorb all of the increasing costs into their supply chain without it co- in the supply chain without it causing and having impact on them and because they are so volume reliant uh the tweaks they see that are sort of magnified in through the numbers so I, you know i just think this is uh re-emphasizing what we already know about what the struggles are in the market yeah, I think uh, from my point of view, there was lots of little nuggets of interest in that uh, in that article. Certainly, as you've just said, Sabrina, I think um, if all breweries, our stomping ground included, are grappling with how, how we tackle um, these uh, these uh, input and price increases that we're experiencing. Yeah, and um, as to whether we put our prices up, if if we do, how much. Um, because obviously uh, there's a lot of pressure. Some breweries are competing on price, and we want to. We obviously want to compete on compete as well. So it's, there's a lot of discussions that we're having, and I expect a lot of breweries around the country are having uh, on yeah. that front uh, as well. I thought um, I thought uh, the admission that uh, moving to cans was uh, better late than never. I thought was uh, was interesting because it's clearly working for them. I think is it something like thirty plus percent already now is is in cans and um, of their sales which is um, a big a big growth in the few years that they've been around 
Yeah, and, and there was something I specifically asked him about because, I mean, I, I remember you know, God, 14, 15 years ago before Young Henry, uh, not Young Henry's, uh, the Australian Brewery put in the first craft canning line. Cooper's had Dr. Tim's Pale Ale and I was on a, I think it was the ferry to Kangaroo Island and I tried it for the first time. And for years I was asking Cooper's, look, I'd love to do a story on beer and cans because by that stage we'd seen Oscar Blues and we'd seen the growth of craft beer and cans in in the States. And Cooper's just didn't even want to talk about it, let alone look at going. And you know, speaking to Tim about it, they obviously had concerns about the flavor stability and the flavor profile of the beer and cans, and they had to work through that. So, you know, completely understand that. But when they did it, it was such a big mover for them that, you know, I, I think that really shows Cooper's conservative approach, that they're, you know, they're, they're very cautious um, and they're, they're not big enough as the big brewers are to have things that fail and that they just kill off quickly. But then they're very cautious in, in making some of these innovations. And it was only this week, and we didn't really report it as news because we don't do new beer releases um, as, as news because there are far too many of them. But Cooper's has released a mid-strength lager for the first time ever. And you sort of think it's 20% of the beer market is... Um, mid-strength or below and whilst they do have zero, zero alcohol beer that I think was around about 2 million litres you know Cooper's only now coming to a mid-strength lager um, just seems to be very very odd and I, I'll, I'll actually note I did ask him whether they were keeping an eye on things like better beer and he, he was only vaguely aware of this, the, the scale and things of it which I was very surprised you know you'd think a brewery that size would be looking at you know, those developments very, very um, strongly so they could position themselves into emerging significant mainstream categories. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think that's one of the great challenges that Cooper's has um, is innovation. Yeah. Better late than never seems to be a sol- solid motto for uh, Cooper's. Sabrina <laughs> says the quiet part out loud. <laughs> What can I ask? Um, I'm very curious because another thing of great interest to me was whether they um, they talk about um, whether they've their ceiling is around the 80 million litres and whether they think, uh, which is is fantastic that they've managed to get close or near that that number for the last number of years in, in, when there's a tsunami of competition in the marketplace. What what's your view of that? Do you think that it? Is I'm glad a you picked up on that because that was one of the questions. I, I've been watching them for a while, and you know they. I think they got to eighty three and a half million liters, uh, and then the year of the, um, you know, marriage debate, they had a big hit um, and dropped. And but you know they've been bumping up and down. And so I asked him. I know, unfortunately, Tim's a very hard person to interview for print because he, he, he speaks a little bit like I do, where he goes off on tangents and it's very hard to get a clear narrative that you can edit down into a very simple uh, sentence. But he did talk about that. And um, he, he, did meant, he did say that it's clearly something that they've looked at, whether they're at a, at a level. Um, internally, they thought they could get to 7% of the market um, when they're around about a bit over 5% of the market now. But... At the same time, he did make the point that when the market is declining, they are keeping their volumes at that level. So even though they're not growing, 
they do seem to be growing relative to to the major brewers. And he also did talk about the um, you know the, the the competition of craft brewers. So they're a little bit betwixt and between. Um, so he didn't have a definite answer as as you can't, but it's clearly they it, it is on their agenda. You know what is their potential for growth um, and how big can they actually get. In beer. In, in, in beer, yeah. Because they've been starting to make much more sizable investments on their malting and whiskey side, right? As Well, they, they are going to bring out whiskey and uh, maltings. And actually, that, that, it was interesting, um, a little tidbit that I'd not realised is that they were suppliers to Lion at the West End Brewery. And uh, when West End closed, they no longer supplied um, Lion, but they just weren't able to have that um, export um, picked up. So, uh, yeah, just a nice little tidbit. You might have touched on it in other episodes. I think I've heard you had, but um, do you think to get from five to, if they were to get from five to 7%, do you see it Cooper's ever acquiring another brewery in order to get to that six, 7%? Well, that Tim was funny because I, I had the podcast with him where we wrote that story and people you know, criticize that as clickbait. Um, but it's, they, they've clearly considered it. They've clearly weighed it up. But as he said, you know, I, I think there are fewer than, 10 craft breweries that are brewing over 2 million litres. Um, and, you know, Coopers clearly feels that they can achieve, you know, if they have a successful launch, they can reach that scale um, with, with something that they launched themselves as XPA and Pacific Ale, um, which, again, weren't true innovations, but they, you know, they, they eventually got onto that, um, you know, trend. Um, and and I, I think they think that they would be able to create that much more cheaply than brewers that are, you know, the, the, the major brewers are, are buying that sort of volume for. And, you know, when you think about it, I can actually uh, see that, particularly when the breweries that are in that sort of takeover scale, none of them are growing, none of them have a rapid trajectory because the one thing that the breweries that have been acquired by the major breweries all have in common is even if they weren't at significant scale, they were growing quickly at the time of their acquisition. Um, And I I can't think of any breweries in that sort of takeover target range that have, um, you know, rapid growth that would warrant Coopers looking at it. And not to jump to the next story, but equally, when you look at, you know, of the breweries producing over 2 million litres, a number of them have now sought to crowdfund, making their equity structures a lot more complicated and therefore less attractive to acquisition, which makes your pool of potential acquisition targets much smaller again. So I think, you know, the competitive landscape in Australia and the nature of not being a first mover for Coopers um, historically means that even though from the outside that might have looked like an obvious move for them uh, into more sexy craft, uh, it doesn't sort of seem like there's a natural um, a natural ally slash solution that's valued at a level that you would be willing to pay for 2 million litres. Well, how, how about having preluded our next story, Sabrina? We uh, talk about the next story, which is wave of equity crowdfunds <laughs> underway. Uh, a wave of breweries in Australia and New Zealand have undertaken equity crowdfunding recently as capital raising continues its post-COVID resurgence. 
Brisbane's took a look at who is raising, what stage they're at, and how they found the experience so far. Um, you know, quite quite a bit of content in there. Uh, one of the last articles from uh, Claire Burnett, who finished up uh, early this week. Um, but yeah, so I- interesting stuff there, including your mates um, that raised two and a half million in uh, what an hour and a half or something like that, thirty thousand dollars a minute, I-, I think it was. It what's what's happened with your mates is uh, is. Exactly the sort of story that the crowdfunding organisations would love because it's one out of the blue. It's um, they're not all like that, and um, I think uh, there's cautionary tales of, of breweries and other businesses that have tried to crowdfund that haven't perhaps had the backing um, of an, an audience to be able to help them get to where they want to get to. But your mates is a is a such a success story from a. Well, even prior to the the fundraising or the crowdfunding, is uh, they've had remarkable success uh, by tapping into their community in ways that we'd all love to. Um, so I, I wasn't surprised in some respects that they achieved it. I was blown away by how quickly they achieved it, um, and uh, you know, congratulations to them for for, for doing it. Um, as I said before, we, we've certainly explored that sort of uh, option for us at Stomping Ground and we felt it wasn't quite right. So it's really interesting to see coming out of COVID so many breweries trying it. And, um, you know, again, I kind of, I think it's still too early in some respects to see how it will all play out. There are some breweries who have done two or even three raises, maybe more, but um, I'm kind of keen to see how it plays out, whether it makes it harder for breweries once they have been to the well once, twice or three times. How complicated does it get when you've uh, you've raised on the basis of evaluation and maybe like if you look at some of these prospectuses or, or, or raising doc, raised documents is that they talk about growth, which I'm not sure is, is there for, for most breweries um, in the next 12, 24 months. Um, it might have been 12, 24 months ago or even pre-COVID, but I'm not sure that story is 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 the same. Is going to be the same for the next uh, year or two. Yeah, I agree, Stephen. I think the biggest next shift that we're going to see in crowdfunding, which may help answer some of those questions, is a potential launch of a share trading platform um, for equity crowds. So once you have um, in, invested, quote unquote, into uh, uh, can you then on sell your share? Because at the moment it's illiquid. And so that will be really interesting because that will uh, potentially um, a involve more scrutiny around what is the current valuation of that company to set the basis for that trading. And what does that mean? So I think that's sort of the next if we look at this structurally, the next big wave of sort of what does that mean? Um, so, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Are there plans, Sabrina? Are you aware of things? Because I'm, I haven't read that, but I'm interested in what you just said. So Birchall are actively working on it at the moment. Um, it required, I think Matt had a discussion with them, it required a regulatory change or, um, but if you go to, uh, Birchall's website right now, you can actively register to um, to get information and be the first to know um, when they launch their next, uh, when they launch that scheme. And so um, I certainly have a look on a, on a regular basis to see what information is available because I think that is where a lot of the things that, that um, 
we, Bruce News, Matt and I separately and the journalistic team have been sort of asking questions that potentially provides, uh, illuminates some some light on what the answers are. Um, and actually it may make it more confusing. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how that runs. Where has that run? Uh, examples of where that's worked or been introduced overseas and has been in place for a period of time that there has been, you've got a sense of how it does work or doesn't work? So the only one that I know about is that certainly um, that when the journalists looked into uh, at a really deep level sort of into peer-reviewed articles around, you know, global, they were looking at a New Zealand scheme um, and from anecdotally in the Radio Brews News Group, people have talked about the ability to trade shares in Parrot Dog, who were one of the first raisers in, in New Zealand. Um, Parrot Dog raised on a different platform to who Behemoth uh, Brewing have now raised on, but it wasn't sort of, so to, to your point, I don't have, I don't know that in any more detail than that was one of the examples that has been given and that the journalists found when they were digging into it. Um, but I think the questions are, you know, who sets who sets the share rate? There's no there's no open market to set the rate at which you trade. So I think the biggest question is who sets that rate? Is it the person trying to sell? Is it the company? Um, what is your – there are, as we know, ongoing reporting requirements by companies that have raised – uh, many of which are not met, <laughs> um, which is one of the criticisms. But if you imagine you want to engage in ongoing trading, you would expect those to be available. So it would be fascinating because it's sort of a semi-ASX market at that point, isn't it? Mm. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, I, I suspect Birchall's going to want to uh, do as many of its equity crowdfunding in the brewing industry as it can before um, people actually start realising that there's no secondary market for these uh, shares. But the, look, the only comment I'm going to make on the on that article is that it, it was a little bit disappointing that um, Claire reached out to a number of breweries to comment on that and uh, a, a number didn't want to re- respond citing the discussions that we've had on the podcast um, and their concerns that we were, they felt we were negative um, about equity crowdfunding, which I think really misses the nuance of the discussions we've been having. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm just going to say again, equity crowdfunding is a legitimate mechanism for breweries to raise capital. Um, you know, there, there and then there. But any brewery that doesn't think the flood of capital coming into the industry at the valuations it's being raised at, and they don't think that that's going to have an impact on the industry that will affect all breweries are just plain wrong. And uh, um, anyone who doesn't think that the number of breweries that aren't meeting the minimum legislative requirements around reporting when they take money under the scheme or aren't reporting to their supposed owners will have a negative effect on the industry and equity crowdfunding are just wrong. And uh, unfortunately, it will be the breweries that are doing it right are going to be negatively impacted by the ones that are doing it wrong and some of them are the ones that are expressing concern about us discussing that so you know look th- th- this is my tanty about it um you know because bruise news has always spoken and taken issues and we've pissed off the biggest breweries over time and they've still responded by and large to our questions and uh you know fundamentally it's better for my business in terms of selling advertising if i don't piss anybody off so, and I don't, it's not going to impact me a, a, a jot if we uh, 
have a go at equity crowdfunding or not. Um, but, you know, if, if the brewers that are taking money don't want to see that regulation, you know, scrutiny of that for the good of the industry, then you guys have at it. It's your businesses are going to suffer. So, uh, you know, basically I'm out. Mic drop, no more equity crowdfunding uh, discussion from me. Uh, I don't know how we segue from that to an ad. I'm not, but I'm going to say because it is nice to make money when you're in business, even, you know, if you have to sort of uh, risk upsetting some people. Some people that I'm not going to upset are Liquor Loop Hose Protectors because they're 100% Australian-owned and made. And Liquor Loop Hose Protectors were created to increase the life of your brewing hoses while protecting your floors and equipment from costly damage. If you're using one-and-a-half-inch soft hosing and you want to save some money on replacements and repairs, head over to liquorloop.com.au or check them out on their socials for more. That's liquorloop.com.au. And as always, there's a link in the show notes. Look down at your phone or on your screen and you'll find a link and you can go check out the good people at Liquorloop. Somebody else that's doing something good uh, is Black Ops, which won an award um, after they participated in a Queensland safety program. We reported on this a couple of uh, uh, weeks ago that Black Ops um, had participated in a workplace health and safety uh, injury prevention and management program, uh, IPAM, uh, and has won an award um, at the uh, Safe Work and Return to Work Awards 2022. As a result of this partnership, they are adding a new safety role to their business, and Black Ops scooped the uh, Small Business Award for the most significant improvement to work health and safety performance, which uh, I'm sure everyone can appreciate is actually good for the industry. Steve, do you guys have any uh, specific workplace health and safety programs in uh, your business? Yeah, we do. We've uh, we've worked very hard, uh, particularly I think in the last year and a half. We've kind of taken it to another level. Uh, it's become our biggest priority across the the brewing element of our business, and um, we uh, are also looking forward to taking it another level again. With uh, obviously with the integration with uh, GDA, a much bigger brewery, uh, is that there are things that we can learn from them. But we we certainly know it's it's a, it's an area that requires constant improvement and. We've made big steps in the last couple of years, uh, but um, I think there's always a way to go. And it's, I think it's great that, what A, what Black Cops have done, but B, I think it's great for you guys to report it because I think it's, um, it's becoming a conversation that's on the lips of every brewer, big or small. And I think uh, as a result of that, I think breweries of big and small are focusing, have a, fo- a greater focus, I would argue, than ever before on safety in the workplace. And that's only a good thing. And the shout out I would add on top of that, Steve, is um, for any listeners, this is a free program that the Queensland government is offering. Um, and you, the, um, there are links in the article itself of how to get into contact with them. And so, you know, I don't want to say there's no excuse, but there are fundamentals toolkits available for free. These are programs you can assist in. And so if you're thinking about doing it in your brewery and you don't know where to start because you're a small brewery, um, we are waving a flag to tell you where you can start. And so um, that is what is great about this, which is sort of tangible, actual help. And, and brewing is an inherently dangerous business, you know, b- between the chemicals and the lifting yeah. and the temperatures and the pressure equipment. It's something that as the industry has matured and we've moved out of that garage band phase, you know, it's great to see that there is a focus on protecting, you know, our best assets, which is the, the, the brewers and the people in the business. 
Moving on, uh, entries now open for the Royal Queensland Beer Awards. Judging will take place in late February and winners announced on March 1, 2023. You can find a link in the show notes. Obviously, the, 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 the state-based awards do tend to attract strong fields from the state that uh, takes them. But Steve, uh, you guys, Stomping Ground, were uh, national, you know, had one that took out the big award. Um, for Champion Beer at, at this year's awards, oh yeah, with our uh, Czech Pills, which is um, we're just can- we're we're canning at the moment. Actually, we've wanted to can that really for, well, even predating that award. But that kind of uh, meant that we had discussions about when we could do it, and when would be the best time to do it. And um, subsequent to that that uh, award you just mentioned, there it's won a couple of other uh, nice awards as well. So we've had to kind of find more room on the label for. <laughs> For the can, for the uh, for the trophy leg or the uh, award, but uh, so I think it's if it's certainly one of our most awarded uh, beers. Well, Steve, if you're struggling to find space on the label, then you know, like I, I could probably recommend somebody who could help you do that because not only do they do that exact thing, but they're also the sponsors. They were the primary sponsors of the Royal Queensland Beer Awards this year, and that, of course is Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. If you have won more awards than you can fit on your can or bottle, then I would give the guys at Rallings a call because they can help you fit more in. They are masters at the billboard that is the bottle uh, or can label, and they can get your schmick labeling sorted and get all of your awards on. Give the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging a call on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can help your branding sing. There we go. Seamless, just like the Rallings labels. Seamless. That's great. <laughs> You're getting better and better at that. I'm very impressed how you do it. 742 episodes in, we're starting to get the hang of this. Now, a breaking news this morning that hasn't hit the website yet, but... The the media release came in. Uh, now the headline is from craft beer to snags and banana bread waffles. Bonza reveals its order on Aussie menu. Bonza became the first airline to offer an entire menu source from its home country. The menu features products made by Australian small businesses, including one social enterprise and several others that give a percentage of profits to charities. Um, the Aussie airline first include non-alcoholic beer banana bread waffles and snag in a bag. Uh, now, I should say that we're doing this a bit on the fly, but you know, one of the banes of anyone that has to fly is often the lack of interesting beers. And uh, having spoken of um, Your Mates Brewing, um, they're one of the breweries that have been unveiled. Uh, Your Mates Brewing Co. on the Sunshine Coast um, and also Ballistic Beer in Brisbane uh, are going to have their beers range. Spin Effects Brewing Company, and heaps normal. Um, so yeah, look, it's uh, that, that that's some fairly significant news in the brewing industry, and certainly for those uh, breweries. Listen, I think it's a great development. I know a few years ago, pre-COVID, there were a number of breweries. I think Bent Spoke uh, uh, were one, and there was another Queensland brewery. The name escapes me at the moment, but they there have been uh, attempts by independent brewers to get on planes before with some some success, but. It's great to see, from what I can tell from that, what you just read out, that uh, Bonza is going exclusively with uh, with those sort of suppliers. And um, I'm hoping, as I, as I guess, uh, drinkers and lovers and makers in some cases of craft beer or independent beer in, in this uh, country would love to see more of that sort of initiative. Um, 
from uh, from the airlines, and maybe it'll bring the other two main airlines uh, up to into the party as well. Yeah. And look, there's nothing more disappointing than when you've got like the national carrier Qantas offering beers like Heineken. Yeah. Um, now you know because the, the, there is no regionality. You could be any airport in the world when you're drinking that, and you know it. it, it it's a tough game when ninety percent of the beers consumed are still that mainstream lager. Um, but having something that is a taste of the country, um, you know you'd think would be the basic question that they would have um, for international tourists and domestic tourists, but then also looking at small suppliers. Of course, balanced out that, you know, the, the bigger the business is, the more that they look at costs and uh, getting the, 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 the costs down the, the way that the big brewers can to have that tie-in and also just the supply, you know, having to get supplies out of a small uh, brewer on time and things like that is always going to be challenged. So there's, there, there's a lot to consider, but good luck to, to, to Bonza and hopefully it doesn't end up like Compass Mark 1 and Compass Mark 2 and Virgin <laughs> Blue Mark 1, um, you know, in, in doing it and uh, long may it they persist. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Matt. I don't, it's, I scratch my head every time I, I read the Qantas uh, drinks menu and it just doesn't make sense to me in the same way that I think if you go to um, great cultural events in Australia, as I, I, I'd love to see those great cultural events, uh, having a taste of Australia, as you call it, from, you know, Australian made, Australian owned um, breweries and other suppliers. Over my back fence at home here, I um, there is a, a, a couple who make uh, cookies, which uh, they, I think a number of years ago, they pitched it to uh, Qantas. And I think they've, I don't know if they're still range, but for a, if they are, if they haven't, they've been range for a long period of time. Uh, chocolate chip cookies are, um, called Charlie's cookies, and I've just always spoken to those and wondered what is what does it take for Qantas to kind of cop onto the fact that uh, they sh- they should be doing this, and uh, they need to find a way to do it. And um, I, so I'm whatever happens with Bonza, I, I just love the initiative, and good luck to those brewers, and I'm looking forward to tasting them if I. If I ever brave that airline. Clearly, they see it as a uh, point of difference and something that they can mark themselves out at. And uh, so I might actually segue into one of the stories that we wanted to talk about because Bonza has set up on the Sunshine Coast. And the Sunshine Coast, one of the stories we've gotten, as uh, somebody posted into our um, Radio Brews News Facebook group, um, there was an article in a New Zealand paper looking at the Sunshine Coast as Australia's craft beer capital. Now, we've reported on this. We've done some advertising um, from full disclosure, but Bonza is obviously looking for local because I would be surprised if the Queensland government hasn't lured them to a regional area to fly out of a regional tourist destination as an employment um, and you know regional development uh, initiative. And so having to support local businesses would be part of that. But then on the flip side of that, you've got the Sunshine Coast Council very, very strongly supporting its breweries. And they've seen craft beer as being a way to market themselves as a tourist destination to the point of paying for advertising in a New Zealand journal. And there was a bit of, you know, eye rolling in the discussion on the Radio Brews News Facebook group, which you get because is the Sunshine Coast a craft beer capital? And somebody said it's so spread out, it's not like cities in the West. And, you know, some of those points are well made. Um, 
They also have Moffat Beach, which I think is the most awarded brewery in the country at the moment, or most consistently awarded brewery in the country. And they do have a significant number of breweries for their population. But anyone who's getting caught up in that discussion is missing the point that you're talking about beer and you're talking about the Sunshine Coast. And if you're doing that, that is that advertising's aim. And secondly, no one else, no other government at any level in Australia is giving that degree of support to craft brewing at, on any, at, at, at any way. And anything that's good to create a discussion around craft beer in a region is good for facilitating a discussion because people are talking about, hold on, the Sunshine Coast isn't as good as Sydney's inner west or, you know, the, the headline was it's not as good as Melbourne. So people are automatically talking about beer generally and saying, hold on, Melbourne's got stomping ground. Melbourne's got these breweries, which is fantastic for everybody. And, you know, I, I, I can't congratulate the Sunshine Coast initiative for what it's doing for beer nationally uh, more highly. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I mean, Matt, you know that um, beer tourism is what I think brings us all together and is only great for industry. And I've been on it for a long time. Um, and I think, you know, these things that you started seeing, for me, it was sort of ironic that they dropped in the, in the course of the same week because the people behind the scenes, the people who are not, who got the city council to get involved in the first place, have been doing the hard yards of kind of collective organising for many, many, many years. And so this is the result of a few people bringing all of the breweries together, the breweries getting involved everybody's sort of doing their little bit. It is the culmination of years and years and years of difficult knockbacks. And so to see all of these starting to land at the same time, it is great PR. I mean, at a very strategic level, one of the target uh, markets for the Sunshine Coast is New Zealand. So the fact that they've been able to get press over, get featured in there, it's it's all being done in a very joined up way. Um, and I just think that to your point about level of investment, it's not just the money. It's that every single party involved, every brewery, tour operator, uh, government are working from the same song sheet to go, yep, we're going to bring people here. And that is that is the essence of why this is working out successfully because people are working together. So I love it. I think it's excellent. Yeah, it's a great story, and uh, I've certainly been around the block uh, long enough to know to see there's been stories about Melbourne's the craft beer capital, inner west Sydney. You know, it, it, we all get a turn at it, and that's fair enough. But I, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really care. I think, as you just said, Sabrina and Matt alluded to as well, is that the halo effect on on independent brewing um, is everywhere is is a great byproduct of those sort of stories and. And, uh, you know, I let people on the keyboards um, argue the pros and cons of whether their hometown or not is, is, is the craft beer capital or not. I know what I do know is that all of us are in a much, much better place than we were even just a few years ago. And I certainly know having conversations with you, Matt, and trying to encourage us to open a local tap house in, in, uh, in Queensland a number of years ago and uh, because there was nothing else around and look at it, it's such an exciting dynamic place that's uh, really outperforming in terms of per capita, all these other ones. And congratulations to Creative Tours and Events, Josh Donohoe, who uh, is central to what's going on up in the uh, Sunshine Coast 
for winning a gold medal at the Queensland uh, Tourism Awards um, you know, in the food and drink category. So uh, congratulations to, 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 jo- to Josh, who was a big part of that. To the person who was saying how hard it was to get around to the breweries, give Josh a call. He'll sort you out. He'll make sure you get to all of those breweries. That was an unpaid ad. Um, just rounding out the last couple of stories, um, more Seabrew reporting. A um, couple of last stories. Uh, and our Seabrew coverage is proudly brought to you by HPA, focused on a sustainable future of quality hops, beer and brewing education with the support also from Bespoke Brewing Solutions. Now, clearly, we, Brews News is a small independent publisher. We find it very hard to get to these things, to report on them. And it's great that businesses like HPA and Bespoke Brewing Solutions, you know, see value in us being there to report on them and uh, don't ask for, you know, the, the, the stories that came out weren't specific to either of those two uh, companies. They just saw value in us being there. So uh, that says a lot about them. Um, now, one uh, that, that I found very interesting, um, it wasn't really Seabrew relevant, but it was a story out of Vietnam. A independent brewery, independent craft brewery up there has created two vending machines that allow you to take a main, what they call a mainstream beer and deposit it and get one of their craft beers just for this, paying the difference of the uh, um difference between the, the 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 cost and it was their approach to get people to trial which is one of the hard things for craft brewers but then also to highlight the value difference between a not the cost difference but the value difference between a craft beer and a, a mainstream beer so on one hand it's not news for consumers who can't just walk down to uh, melbourne and and try it but when we're looking at innovation in the brewing industry and ways to get people to try craft beer i just thought this was uh you know a, a genuinely interesting innovation steve and uh, i i know you're off to vietnam and you're going to be uh seeking out um one of these vending machines to see how it works hopefully you'll be able to report back to us yeah listen i'm leaving on monday and i'm going for a couple of weeks and i will be in uh, ho chi minh city for the last three or four days i think it is um but as we were saying that just earlier before we went on air that um i i just love these sort of innovations that happen around the world and i think uh as someone who has is, has a passion for marketing, I um, we're always looking for ways that we can cut through in a cluttered competitive environment. So these sort of initiatives are, are fantastic. I know that um, vending machines. I've seen other initiatives with uh, vending machines that I like as well. It's a bit harder with vending machines and and children being able to access them but i'm certainly going to uh, now that i've seen it i'll be checking out uh, the vending machine in person and i'll let you know how i go i love this story matt um i actually had a completely different space but you know that one of the intersections that i really love to look at is where sort of technology meets a physical product so you know drink the experience of drinking beer is a physical product and how does technology intersect with that and so there's lots of examples but this was really interesting because it came down to you know the technology to create just this vending machine the barcodes had to recognize that it was a mass-produced product and so for me something that I am watching continuously and I know that there's lots of technology going on in the beer industry in places that you wouldn't imagine and you know a while ago it was um, you know changing um, decals decals to uh, electronic Um, and and there's all sorts of you know there's there's some um, AI happening in all sorts of places and it's a space that I love to watch and so I instantly my brain didn't go marketing Steve my brain went to the technology side 
side and how else does this sort of application, you know, what else can this innovation tell us about what else we can do using technology to make the experience of a physical product different, better otherwise? So um, that's the space that I love coming out of this. Yeah, the tech thing is, is really interesting. Like you, you gave a couple of examples there, Sabrina, and I, um, I'm also really interested in that as well. I also am a little... Uh, Skeptical might not be the right word, but I, I'm, I wonder how some of those initiatives uh, will play out long term. I wonder, there's obviously a balance between a gimmick, and sometimes gimmicks are good and cut, cut through and get you written about. Um, I wonder how some of those initi- technology can be, well, I, I'm interested in how technology can play a role in a meaningful, ongoing way beyond the beyond gimmick. And um, there certainly will be ways how it does, but um, uh, often it uh, can be just uh, from, a, uh, from a marketing gimmick and uh, I don't see them two years later or three years later being used in quite the same way. But it's been really, I don't know, um, I, I've been fascinated by QR codes from when they first started to appear. I was amazed at this, what they could do. And then they kind of died off a, off a little bit now. But since uh, the whole COVID pandemic and the use of them for check-ins and the like, is uh, they've come back in ways that I think are helpful and practical and interesting. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I have a healthy, I, I guess, um, scepticism about how they use, but that said, I'm really interested in, in how they used uh, long-term. And, and again, as with all of our reporting, we're not trying to pick winners and say that, you know, endorse it, but I thought that the what they were trying with that was really interesting. And, uh, you know, my one of my drums that I like to bang is in an industry that loves to say the rising tide lifts all boats. Too often we see people only building boats, not looking at where the water's going to come from um, to, to, to lift them all. And uh, you know, this was one of those things that actually looks at how are we going to bring more people in to, 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 to raise our boats. And, and, and that, was, uh, that was great. In other Seabrew uh, news, just a very, very quick one. Uh, growing Seabrew renames to Brewasia. Um, at the conclusion of the Seabrew uh, um, conference, uh, the owner um, and organiser, Charles Guerrier, uh, announced that Seabrew was going to be renamed as Brewasia to reflect its, uh, I think it was initially Southeast Asian um, brewing. I think eight years ago they started. He said it was, it, it sounds very much like uh, the, the, the Craft Beer Industry Association's first conference, Steve, in the Lithuanian Association um, in Sydney, I think it was. Um, bunch of card tables and, uh, you know, um, pull up banners. And uh, he said it was 75 uh, breweries in the back room of a pub. Um, and it's grown to more than 600 attendees, um, you know, a significant regional trade show and a very good conference program. And uh, next year, the two-day event uh, will be held in Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon to the locals. Um, and it'll be around about mid-October next year. Um, the date hasn't been finalised. So uh, um, thank you again to HPA and Bespoke Brewing Solutions for making sure we could get there and cover that. Um, speaking of HPA, our mailbag is brought to you this week by HPA. Hot Products Australia is the largest grower in the country, backed by a team of experts in plant breeding, farming operations, customer service and brewing support. To celebrate the brand refresh refresh of their six Aussie hops, HPA teamed up with Beer Cartel and a host of local brewers to bring the Aussie Explorer mixed pack. 
For the next three weeks, the mailbag letter of the week will win one of these mix packs, including limited edition beers from the likes of Deeds, Mountain Goat, and Stone and Wood. You can also purchase one of these using the link in the show notes, but only while stocks last. And Sabrina, you've got a letter of the week from last week, I believe. Yeah, we uh, we did award a letter of the week last week, and then we had a um, letter of the week this week is from Wade Curtis, who posted into um, the Radio Brews News Group just about a change in Queensland, uh, whereby the Queensland government is looking at um, or container of cha- containers for change, and the Queensland government are looking at the inequity in the uh, container refund scheme and are looking to add wine and spirits to the scheme uh, beyond just um, beer and soft drinks. So requiring beer and spirits to have the 10 cents added and to participate in the scheme. Uh, So he posted that to the group and that created quite the discussion about um, the fact that there was an inequity created in the first place. Um, And so um, I would just add that this, in consulting on this in the New Zealand scheme, was a piece that uh, was very hotly debated. And, of course, the argument from beer is you're putting 10 cents on a six-pack, a 10-pack on every single container, and as wine is putting 10 cents on every 750 mils, and notwithstanding the significant government investment that they receive over and above the beer industry, said that it would absolutely cause their prices to go up and it was unsustainable whatsoever. Um, And that seemed to have been able to be carved out and so, you know, I just think this seems like um, about time from my perspective <laughs> as an industry body. Why shouldn't it be the same? In some ways, you wonder why it hasn't happened sooner. It, it's just another Lovely. example of the inequities as, as has been said <laughs> between beer and wine and 10 cents on a, on a wine bottle um, versus, you know, what... $2.40 on a carton of beer, um, again, doesn't seem to resolve it. And yeah. there's this mindset that wine bottles don't contribute to pollution. But anyway, um, great to see it uh, underway. Um, in other news, uh, a little bit of self-news. Beer is a conversation this week. Steve Hopkins from Kegstart. Really interesting conversation about building teams um, in, in the fast-moving consumer goods uh, from Kegstar. I think we're coming up to 10 years since Kegstar founded Um looking you know, the, the, the first keg pooling uh, model. Um, go listen to that. A bit of teaser for a couple of other um, episodes. We've got a special out-of-cycle edition um, sort of coming out of our uh, sea brew. Had a chat with Heart of Darkness Brewery, which is a Vietnamese uh, brewery. Really interesting space. I was fascinated by the brewing industry in Southeast Asia when I was there in Bangkok. So I just wanted to touch base with Heart of Darkness to find out a little bit more about the, the, the Asian brewing industry and how they're approaching it. So look out for that. That'll just be a bonus edition. But then also, as a listener, if you listen to Radio Brews News, we do also have a Brewery Pro channel that we're a little bit infrequent um, with publishing, but we're going to have a great story looking at investing in the drinks industry. And I caught up this week with Scott Phillips, who's the host of the Motley Fool Money podcast um, and is the chief investment officer for the Motley Fool um, investment uh, site. He had been an investor in good drinks, Steve, back when they were Gage Roads. And he talked a little bit about his investment thesis because he sold them because the had stayed standard. But it's a really interesting investment podcast. So I had a, a very wide ranging chat with him about all manner of investment, but then specifically 
um, valuations and investing strategies um, in the drinks industry because he does know about the drinks industry as well. And it touched on equity crowdfunding and had some very interesting insights, but then also about the challenges that any business, particularly a business uh, in the brewing industry, faces around getting scale. Um, so it was initially recorded as a beer as a conversation, but it was much more brewery pro content, um, both for people that are looking at investing and for breweries. So watch out for that coming out. If you're not already a subscriber to the Brewery Pro channel, there'll be a link in the show notes, but also just go to your favorite podcasting platform and search Brewery Pro and you'll find it. Uh, we've talked about the Sunshine Coast is Australia's craft beer capital. Um, Brewdog, uh, the Brewdog campaign denouncing the World Beer Cup. Um, seems classic Brewdog. Um, throw your hat in on, on something that is entirely, speaking of gimmicks, Steve, or speaking of uh, something that is entirely self-serving and trying to give it a higher purpose. They're, um, they're, they've run ads damning the uh, upcoming football world cup or soccer world cup whilst also making sure that they get the benefit of selling their beer um by hosting the the world cup that they're denouncing uh, anyone got any thoughts i think the fact that we're talking about it is, exa- is exactly why they do it um i i, I couldn't read the full article because it was behind the fortune uh, com paywall but um, I thought I was very bemused. I think uh, that the headline of the article says "Up and Coming Craft Brewery <laughs> yes. Launches Campaign Denouncing Corrupt World Cup," and uh, I thought, well, if they're an up up and coming brewery, where does that leave the rest of us mere mortals? Um, I wouldn't ex- uh, I wouldn't exactly call Brewdog up and coming. Yeah, I saw. Um, I mean, if it was this article or a bunch of others, I mean, the campaign by Brewdog was put out, and just as quickly as many articles arose talking about the backlash. Um, and to be honest, the only thing I thought about is how hard it must be to be a normal staff member at Brewdog. Um, you know, there are good humans, good people working at Brewdog. This is not about uh, the people you might meet at your local pub. Um, This is a large corporate decision being made by an owner without the consideration of how that might impact the folks on the ground. And that was, I mean, when you think about what the Brewdog name um, globally has been put through, the staffing issues they've faced clearly, and I just, my first thought was to the staff and how shit this must feel for them. So uh, that's where I was at and I thought, you know, just think about your staff when you're going to do some shit like this, guys. <laughs> and, and, and clearly, this is the sort of stunt that got them attention. You know, they, they've written books on when you don't have a marketing budget, how do you get attention? And so they had all of these stunts that brought them to attention, got free media coverage. And, you know, there is there is a certain amount of genius in that because they courted controversy as a way of getting attention. And that works when you're a young, you know, up-and-coming brewery, but as one of the biggest craft beer brands in the world, supposedly with a valuation in the billions, at what point are they going, you know, do they have to grow up and get that adult supervision that people talk about? And, you know, at what point does this sort of thing actually hurt the business as they go into the mainstream? And are we going to see, you know, their their private equity people, you know, is it almost time to rein in the founders, quite apart from their own, scandals and their own things is it you know at what point are we going to see the people that have invested i think 200 million pounds in the business say hey guys you step aside let us handle this from here on in 
Yeah, they're just obviously there's like it's 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 interesting that Sabrina has has that point of view, and it's it's a very valid one. And I think uh, having spoken to some ex Brewdog employees um, in of Brewdog Australia, um, you know, I know that's a, a real issue. Um, but it's it, you know ultimately there's there's a line at which some people won't kind of cross, and uh, it, it's it's very subjective what that line is and where it is. Um, in my personal view, uh, while I it impresses me how Brewdog get as much attention as they do. And in some ways, they have been geniuses in many of the things that they've done. But clearly, when you're you're pushing against that line as often as they are, um, is inevitably they go over that line. And as you said, Sabrina, is that there are a lot of there's often collateral damage that uh, maybe they don't give due consideration to. Um, so, but you know, there's probably just as many people who would think I'm being ridiculous, and and um, it's not it's not an issue. But I know that there are definitely some people, as Sabrina touched on as well, that there are definitely some people who feel very uncomfortable within the Brewdog universe at uh, at the way that um, it's some of the things that they do. And eventually, if you want to be one of the largest craft breweries in the world, you need to have exceptional staff, and we are entering the war for talent, um, and so. To your point around, is this good business, Matt? Um, If you were going to start to see good talent leave because they've had enough, uh, you're going to see an ongoing culture that can't be restabilised as a result of the other issues Um, and a a more competitive marketplace that doesn't really want to deal with this sort of shit because they're not punks anymore, they're well-funded. It is absolutely not going to be good for business long-term. So... um, Watch that space. And lest anyone accuse me of uh, hypocrisy, uh, I, I distinguish this story from the Sunshine Coast story because whilst it's uh, controversy that's got people talking, they're not talking positively about beer. It's 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 Brewdog looking for publicity for themselves, um, and beer doesn't even factor in the uh, the, 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 dis- the discussions that I'm seeing. Um, other news, the Independent Brewers Association voting for the board is open to members until midnight on 22nd of November. So we've still got two weeks for that. And also, if you're not going to get involved and you know learn the background of some of these decisions, you really don't have the right to complain. <laughs> and if you're not a member as well. Um, tickets are on sale for the Institute of Brewing and Distilling Asia Pacific Conference being held in Adelaide in March 2023. Brews News will be there covering it. Um, and you should be as well. Um, you'll find a link to that in the show notes. I think sometimes the IBD is seen as being the province of big brewers, but they're really uh, making sure that the program includes uh, topics of relevance to small brewers and uh, with, with quality increasingly important uh, in, in, in the industry. Um, it's a great place to get uh, some of that latest uh, skill and research. Well, thank you both, Steve. Safe travels. Uh, Enjoy your motorcycle uh, ride around Vietnam. Uh, And that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kierkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and Steve Jeffers. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank HPA, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, and Liquor Loop for their support in making this episode possible. And thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, we're out. 